Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Hemman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Luke chapter 3, you there? All right, fantastic. Now, last week we were introduced to John the Baptist and his ministry, and we learned that, that he was the forerunner of Jesus, that he was chosen by God, that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to prepare the way of the Lord. And so in our passage this morning, which will be verse 15 all the way to verse 38, and we'll be out of here about 3 p.m. I'm just kidding. I won't go that long. uh, John does just that. He steps out of the limelight, and Jesus is revealed as Savior and God. And so in light of that, fill this in in your notes. Here's our first point. Jesus is greater than John. Jesus is greater than John. That is, we saw last week that John was preaching repentance in the wilderness and and he was spirit-filled and he was bold and he was so full of conviction that the crowds just flocked out to hear him. In fact, he was so impressive that this is what the crowd's reaction was to his ministry. Take a look with me at verse 15. It begins, As the people were in what? Expectation. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. That is to say this, John had buzz. Man, he had the crowds. His Instagram was blowing up, man. He was the top podcast on iTunes and Spotify. His ministry was happening. So much so, that is, he was so filled with the Spirit, he was so full of conviction that the people are thinking, perhaps, he's the answer. He is the one that's going to fix all the problems. He is the Savior. He is the one that they've been hoping for and and waiting for. He's going to bring to pass all of what they have been leaning into, praying for. Now that kind of popularity is kind of a heady thing, right? And that kind of popularity has destroyed a lot of pastors, a lot of musicians or other people in ministry, but at the very least, it comes with the great temptation of pride to think that, you know, we're kind of all that. That, hey, God's using us. We're, we're God's anointed and to take credit for what God is doing through us rather than pointing people to Jesus and us ultimately decreasing. And here we're going to see that John is such a great example for us to follow. Listen, he knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. He wasn't looking for popularity. He wasn't looking for fame and recognition. He was about Jesus. And so listen, he eagerly and willingly pointed the crowd to Jesus 
and he took a back seat. Take a look at his response to all the fame, all the buzz over his ministry. Verse 16, it says, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am, what? Not worthy to untie. That is the rabbis of that day taught that a teacher might require anything from their followers so they should be prepared except to have them take off their sandals because that was considered too demeaning. That was just considered way too below the belt, too low because, you know, in those days the roads were dirty and they wore sandals. So there was some serious toe jam going on. And, and so that was just considered really, really too humbling of a thing. And so what John is saying here is, listen, think of the lowliest position, the most humbling position that you can. I am lower than that compared to the greatness of Jesus. He is so, so much greater than I am. Now, real quick, just as a side note, Jesus says later on in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11 of John, he goes on to declare this about John the Baptist. He says, of any man born of woman, there is no one greater than John. That is ultimately what the Bible ultimately says. If we will humble ourselves, God will lift us up in his due time, in his time, in in his way. Now, in addition, this kind of informs us why the disciples were so unwilling for Jesus to wash their feet, ultimately, which happened later on in Jesus' ministry. We see it in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, that Jesus uh, was washing his disciples' feet, and they, they rejected that. They didn't want him to do that because Jesus was taking the most humbling position. He was doing the most humbling thing that he could do washing their feet, even washing the feet of the one who would betray him. And so my point is this, what I want you to understand is if you are worshiping Jesus, you are worshiping the most humble person that ever existed. And that is so, what is so amazing about our God. He is most high. He is all powerful. He has all authority, and yet he is so humble, and he is so gracious, and he is so compassionate, and he is so kind, and he is so gentle. He is so perfect in all his character, in all his ways, and it just causes us to worship him. And so ultimately, John is shifting all the focus off of him and on to Jesus. And so he says, number one, Jesus is greater than himself. And then second, he says, Jesus' baptism is greater. Fill that in in your notes. Here's our second point. Jesus' baptism is greater than John's. Jesus' baptism is greater than John's. Verse 16 continues, He, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and fire. That is the big idea that John is saying here is this. I can work on the outside, but listen, only Jesus can work on the inside. That is, John is saying, listen, I I can preach. (laughs) I can call you to repentance. Listen, I can symbolically baptize you with water on the outside, but... But take a look again here at verse 16. It says, he, that is Jesus, will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. That is ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us and allows us even to respond to God. He is the one who causes us to be born again. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. He is the one who even gives us the desire to love God. He seals our salvation. He guarantees our inheritance. He gifts us for ministry. He sanctifies us and matures us. He empowers us for godly living. That is to be a Christian. Hear me. That is to be a Christian. Is to receive the gift of the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That is to say this, and here is my fear for some in the church. You can go to church. You can read your Bible. You can pray a lot of prayers, but if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not born again. You are not saved. You do not belong to God. You may be externally religious, but you are not internally redeemed. And that is what John is getting at here. He's saying, listen, I'm preparing you for Jesus. He is so much greater than I am. He is the only one who can give you new life and a new heart and a new power to live by. He is the only one who can take away your sin and your rebellion. He is the only one who can change you from the inside out. And so he says, Jesus is coming to baptize you, to immerse you in the Holy Spirit, to put His Spirit inside of you, to have the effect of His presence and power inside of you so much that it is overflowing out of your life. You are immersed in it. Now here's the third point, John says. Jesus is greater than He is. Jesus' baptism is greater than He is. And then third, fill this in. Jesus' judgment is greater than John's. Jesus' judgment is greater than John's. Verse 17. He, that is Jesus, winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with what? Listen, that is a reference to the conscious, eternal punishment of hell. 
Now, John uses an analogy here of wheat and chaff, and so here's the meaning. At harvest time in those days, what they would do is they would bring the wheat into the barn or close to the barn, and they would take something called a winnowing fork that looked kind of like a a three-pronged rake, and they would use this fork to toss the grain in the air, and the wind would blow through, and the grain would fall to the ground, and the lighter chaff would ultimately blow away. That is, he is saying some people are wheat and some people are chaff. That is, ultimately, some people belong to Jesus and abide in him, and some people are just blown away. Hear me, church. By temptation, by religion, by false doctrine, by deception and seducing spirits. And so here is the question for us this morning. Are you wheat or are you chaff? And I say that because sometimes there is the misperception in our culture as it was in John the Baptist day as well, that everybody who comes to church is wheat and everybody who's outside is chaff. And the truth is there is a lot of chaff in the church as well. That is, there are some people that have not received truly the Holy Spirit. They have not been truly born again. They are not deeply committed to Jesus Christ at the core of everything they are, at the very core and sum of their existence. And so underneath all the Jesus words, underneath all of what they portray to everyone else, they are about someone or something other than Jesus. That is, they may be using his name. They may be using his people as well, but their cause is not Jesus. He is their means to get what they want. He is their means to get their own self-actualization. Boy, do you hear that a lot today. He is their means to get their fulfillment. He is their means to achieve their dreams. He is not their end. He is there to help them have a blessed family, blessed finances, to fulfill their career, to fulfill their hopes, to make them who they want to be. So they want to use him. But they do not treasure, desire, and abide in Jesus exclusively alone. That is chaff. So temptation comes, blown away. False teaching comes, and it's abundant today, blown away. Hardship comes, blown away. Suffering comes, blown away. Don't have a category for that. Religion comes, blown away. 
And so John comes here, he's judging actions, and he says, listen, repent. And so as Christians, by the way, in contrast to popular opinion, (laughs) we can judge actions. In fact, we are commanded to do so, but we cannot judge the heart and the soul. That is the sole domain of Jesus Christ. His judgment is greater. Jesus is the one to whom we will all stand face to face and give an account for all things. And so ultimately, hear me, the reason that you are here this morning is to make sure that you are wheat. My heart cry for you has been that you would be absolutely certain that you are wheat. There should not be a question that if you die the moment that you walk out of here or even while you're sitting here, that you were full on for Jesus, no doubt in anybody's mind sitting around you that that is what you were about at the core and some of our being. We shouldn't be wondering at your funeral. Are we wheat? And the good news is this, God loves you. And he does not want to judge you. He does not desire anyone to be chaff. And so God demonstrated his love for us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. While we were such great people, no. While we were enemies of God, we don't love God first. He loves us and he pursues us and so you are here this morning simply because God is at work in your life his grace is moving in your life or you would not be here and he is speaking to you and he is calling you begging you to get right with him to surrender to Him, to turn to Him, because He is life. He is love. He is peace. He is joy. All of that is not something. It is a someone. It is found in a person. What you're looking for is Jesus. Not a better career, not a better house, not a better car, not a better spouse. What you need ultimately is who you were created for. And that is Jesus. And so maybe this morning you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Or listen, maybe you need to come home. Because here's what happens when we stop spending time with God. We get lost in our sin and like we want to come home. We just can't find our way back. Lord, where'd you go? I don't know how to turn. I don't know my way home. I remember how it was. I remember that first love. I remember that first fire. I don't know how to get back, Lord. So you need to be crying out to him now, bring me home. Or perhaps you just realized, you know what? I'm not sure that I am truly saved. I don't know that I have truly surrendered 
that Jesus is the core and sum of all that I am and all that I care about. I'm not sure that I really feel the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Whatever the case is, it doesn't really matter. Whatever scenario it is, it doesn't really matter. What matters now in this moment is you say yes to him now. That you surrender to him now. That you ask him to fill you now with his presence and power, with his spirit. And I implore you, do it now. He can hear you. He can hear your heart. Turn to him. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. That is the gospel. Jesus saves us. But here's the bad news, verse 19. But Herod the Tetrarch, now remember we saw him last week, and remember we said that Herod the Great used to rule all of Judea, and then he had three sons. And so then when he died, he split the Judea into three regions, and he gave them to three of his sons, and one of his sons he named after himself. So this is Herod the Second, or Herod Antipas. You'll see it called that way as well. That's who this is. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been what? Reproved by him, that is John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, there are two examples here. There is wheat. There are those who repent, who turn from their sin, believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and get baptized. And then there is chaff, those who don't. And that is highlighted here by Herod. And so again, Herod is a public figure. He is the political leader of the Jews. And so he kind of sets the tone for the nation. He sets the precedence for what's happening in culture. And he was married. But then there was another woman who was a relative of his. That is, she was married to his brother. So she was married as well. And so Herod decided, hey, I want to have an illicit, adulterous affair with my brother's wife. And even worse than adulterous, it was actually incestuous. And so they both leave their spouses. They both, you know, destroy their marriages and families so that they could go off and have their little fling together. And so John is a man of conviction. Listen, he's preaching repentance to all, including Herod and Herodias. And he gets into big trouble. Because in this day, not unlike our day, listen, there is no resistance if your faith is private and personal. But if you go public... (laughs) You better look out. That is, and we all know this, no one is going to give you any trouble if you say, listen, Jesus works for me, but maybe not for you. You know, he's my God, but he might not be your God. Listen, he saves me and he's going to take me to heaven, but maybe you have a different way and a a different God, you know. 
No pushback there. But as soon as you say, you know, the truth is, is I'm a sinner and you're a sinner as well. And we need to repent before a holy God that we have offended and that we are accountable to. And we need to ask his forgiveness and we need to place our faith in Jesus to forgive us of our sins because he is the only way to God. Now you got to fight on your hands. That is Herod. Listen, this is not an alternative lifestyle. Listen, bud, you don't get to define marriage and morality. That's adultery. That's incest. You destroyed two homes. You know what? Quit marching in the diversity and tolerance parade. Hey, repent. And turn from your sin. And so Herod and Herodias said, oh, John, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we, we knew we were in sin. We, we were trapped in it. We were feeling guilty. You know, thank you for preaching repentance to us. Tell us how we can turn to God and know his life and love. That's what happened, right? No. They threw John in prison, and ultimately from the rest of the Gospels, we know that they, they beheaded him and served him up on a platter. That is what John got in this life, what John got for honoring Jesus first, for faithfully preaching the gospel, for doing the right thing. Prison. And death. That is sometimes, fellow believer, we do need to remind ourselves that we're living for the far greater rewards and honors of heaven that oftentimes are simply not applauded this side of heaven. And I mean, I mean, just think with me for a moment. What if John? would have chosen to do what most people do today. Think of how much money. Think of how much power, how much security that he would have had if he simply went on record and he simply said, you know what, they love each other. Who am I to judge? I mean, they're two consenting adults, you know, to each his own. Live and let live. Let's all just get along. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, that is, John by the Holy Spirit saw, listen, he saw thousands of people come to Christ, which is awesome, and be baptized. And then the one shows up <laughs> to be baptized. Verse 21 continues, and when Jesus also had been what? Now the question comes here, of course, why in the world was Jesus baptized? 
Well, the first thing that we need to see in answering that question is this. The first thing is not to repent of sins. Not like us. Not to repent of sins. That is, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 on the screen with me. You don't have to turn there. For we do not have a high priest. Remember that Jesus is a high priest. I'm going to just reference it real quick later on. Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without what? Sin. Okay, so if it wasn't like us for repentance and sin, why then was Jesus baptized? Well, let me give you a few reasons here. Fill this in in your notes. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. That is, take a look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15 on the screen with me. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to, what? Fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. That is, Jesus always fulfilled what God set forth, what God had already put forth in his word. And in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us. He walks our same path. Now fill this in. The next point is this. Jesus was baptized to be made known to Israel. Jesus was baptized to be made known to Israel, to be made known, to be revealed to Israel. Take a look on the screen with me at chapter 1, verse 31 of John. I myself do not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be what? Revealed to Israel. That is, ultimately, in the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah and the Psalms, the Israelites were told that they would know the Messiah by the Spirit coming down, descending upon Him and remaining on Him, that that would be a sign of who the Messiah is. In fact, John tells us exactly that in verses 33 and following in the same chapter. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is what? The Son of God. Here's the next reason Jesus was baptized. Fill this in your notes. To be anointed by the Holy Spirit for ministry. To be anointed by the Holy Spirit for ministry. Turn or Take a look at Acts chapter 10 with me here on the screen. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, verse 38, how God, what, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil 
for God was with him. Here's the next uh, reason Jesus was baptized. Fill this in. To reveal God's approval of his son. To reveal God's approval, the Father's approval of his son. And that's right here in our verse here in Luke chapter 3. Take a look at verse 22. It says this. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am what? Well pleased. He gave his approval. Now let me back up because we actually did not finish verse 21 and ultimately I want to make another point here about verse 22. So back up with me to verse 21. It says this. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was what? Praying. That is Jesus' lifestyle was a constant conversation with the Father. And we said when we introduced this whole series a couple weeks ago that Luke was the one who highlights the prayer life of Jesus more than any other. And we're going to see that many more times as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke's account is the only Gospel that includes this point here that all of this happened while Jesus was praying. And what happened was the God the Father was ultimately testifying to the deity of Jesus Christ. Take a look again at verse 22. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven. You are my what? Beloved Son. Now, the amazing thing that we see here in this verse is that all three persons of the Godhead are present at once. The Father is speaking from heaven. The Holy Spirit manifests physically and descends like a dove. And Jesus is present and incarnated in the flesh. That is what I want you to understand is that we worship a triune God. He is one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I cannot explain that to you. Anybody who thinks they can is smoking too much stuff. (laughs) The nature of God is a mystery. But what I can do is clearly tell you who God says He is who he has revealed himself to be, that he is a triune God. And so the point of verse 22 is to testify, fill this in in your notes, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now take a look with me at verse 23. Verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about, what, 30 years of age. That is, that was kind of considered the full age of maturity in Jewish circles. And actually, back in Numbers chapter 4, we learn that the priest who served 
the people before God could not do so until the age of 30. And so once again, Jesus is our high priest. And so he waits till he's 30 in order to have his earthly ministry on our behalf. And so once again, Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. Verse 23 continues. Being, that is Jesus, the son as was supposed of Joseph. That is, everybody thought that Joseph was his father, but we know that he was born of a virgin birth. He did not have an earthly father. Now, I'm not going to go through all these names from here, from verse uh, to, to verse 38, and everybody say, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Now, they're important. And there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from them. For example, God's faithfulness to all generations. What we see in here is a lot of messed up people that God accomplishes his good purposes through. And that's a great encouragement to me as a flawed person. But I want us to understand with this genealogy that ultimately the Bible has two genealogies for Jesus in the Bible. And the first one is in the Gospel of Matthew. And the gospel in Matthew is about the genealogy from Joseph's family tree. That is, if Jesus was to claim to be the Messiah, his family tree had to be connected to the right tribe and ultimately to the throne of David. In order for him to have a legal claim to be king over Israel, it had to also come from his father's line. And so Matthew shows the legal claim that Jesus has to be king of Israel, to rule from the throne of David over all Jerusalem, which he will do in the new Jerusalem. Then ultimately what Luke records is Mary's family tree. And here in verses 23 to 28, it's tracing Mary's lineage. Now, Mary's name does not appear in this genealogy because women did not appear in the genealogies of of Jewish uh, trees. But this genealogy shows that the bloodline of Jesus also through Mary, his bloodline is from the right tribe and it is connected to the throne of David. So Matthew shows his legal claim. Luke shows that he is from the right bloodline as well. And so here is the main point of this genealogy. Fill this in in your notes. Jesus is man. Jesus is man. That is, Jesus is 100% God. And he is 100% man. And once again, I cannot explain that to you. It is a mystery. The nature of Jesus Christ is a total mystery how both of those things can be true. And yet what I can clearly tell you is what God reveals about himself, that ultimately that is who Jesus is. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.